Initiative. Welcome back, everybody, to issue number 44 of the Roll for Initiative podcast. I am one of your hosts, DM Vincent, along with DM Jason. Hello! Yes, and DM Nick. <laughs> who's silent as ever. There he is. Nick's in a hotel by a pool right now. Yes, Nick is coming there. live from a pool right now. So he may be a little bit on delay because he's relaxing. Yes, I am. Yeah. So no, uh, not by a pool. <laughs> I mean, an undisclosed location. All right. Excellent. Website. Uh, everything's been updated. All yeah, show notes yeah, are it's up. all up to date finally. With a nice new Gen Con counter, I see. I mean, an That's undisclosed cool. location somewhere near Castle Greyhawk. <laughs> I was going to say Castle Grayskull. But, uh... Even better. Yes. Yes, the Gen Con oh, timer is up. We're counting down the days sure. to Gen Con. As of the time of this recording, it is 164 days, 15 minutes oh, exactly God. until Gen Con. That's right. Wow. I'm going to Gen Con. Jason will be at Gen Con. We're having a meetup that I, I already put the, uh, the thing up on our site, uh, Facebook, for the meetup at the Omni Hotel. All right. Omni. So we hope to see a lot of people there. Everybody come to Gen Con. That's right. We'll be there. We're wearing our shirts so you can easily find us. Just look for Jason. As he said last year, the guy looks like Brad Pitt. <laughs> I happened to listen to that show the other day, and you're like, look for the guy that looks like Brad Pitt. <laughs> for a given value of Brad Pitt, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully some of the people who are coming will be wearing uh, RFI shirts, so we'll spot them too. Or the new and improved Sod t-shirt that just came out too. For the hey, iPod. maybe I'll wear one of those. Sure. Uh the actual play podcast, some people asked us to talk yes. about that a little bit. Saber dies. Okay. <laughs> Nick, you really are on a delay, aren't you? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> or at least a mental delay. Hmm. Some people asked to talk about that. Uh, mine is still going strong. The players are having fun. It's almost almost at the end, and I'll be starting another one right after that. So. Cool. Uh, that's that. Jason, yours has ended temporarily until you could find more time for yours because people ask yes. what's going on with Barons, and we keep saying he's on hiatus. <laughs> yeah, they're in they're in hibernation <laughs> until I clone, get my clone finished. Cool. Your clone? Oh, yeah. I just got that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, we had fixed the problem, like I said last week, for the DM screen, which I wanted to talk about this week quickly. Yeah, so uh, I forget the name of the company, but we did finally manage to find a place that will do them print-on-demand. So now it's just a question of us getting it finished up. I can't put an actual day on it, but it's moved to the top of the priority list, so we'll have that uh, announced as soon as it's ready. Awesome. I think it's Superior Pod was the place or something like that. Uh, yeah, maybe something like that. But I'm definitely – I want to get these uh, ready before GaryCon. So oh. that's pretty soon. Speaking about GaryCon, you'll be at GaryCon 3. I will be at GaryCon. Uh, so if anybody doesn't know, it's GaryCon.com. <laughs> it's March 25th to 27th. And uh, it is – It's this is a small you know convention. It's meant to stay small. It's for the old – you know, the neckbeards and the grognards. And, uh, you know, it's a celebration of, you know, of Gary Gygax and uh, – 
gaming in his honor. Yeah. Last year we had some good footage from it, so maybe this year we'll get some... Scary was, like, totally cool and awesome. Yes. Uh, And then the other convention that's coming up that we want to make sure to mention is Icon in uh, Long Island. You can go to iconsf.org for info on that, and uh, I will be there. Uh, Nick, I think you said you're going to make it or not going to make it? No, I'm not going to be able to make it to Icons because, well, I have a new job, so... Uh, yes, kind of like congratulations. ...probationary period, but... Um, well, it's, it's, upside, hard, it's it, hard work in the dwarf mines, and so I understand. Yeah, you know, but, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Working with those tinker gnomes and what have you. Yeah. Um, but it looks like... Uh, I'll have to confirm this, but my chances of going to Origins now have just increased. Yeah. So that's that's a good side. So between the three of us, we'll get all the all as many conventions covered as we can. Hopefully. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So uh, yeah. So icons looking good. That's coming up um, April fifteenth through the seventeenth. It's at Stony Brook University, and uh, there's a lot of good guests that are going to be there. Um, I noticed the, Tim Bradstreet was the uh, mm-hmm. person that I spotted first, and you spotted a couple of good ones too, didn't you? Yeah, Thomas Jane, the guy from the Punisher movie. Really mm-hmm. good first Punisher movie. I enjoyed that movie. Huh, cool. Yeah, for anybody who who's uh, not familiar with Tim Bradstreet, go pick up a uh, old copy of Twilight of um, – oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I almost said the entirely uh, wrong thing. of Twilight 2000. You almost said Twilight, the movie, Jason? God. Yeah, I, I really nearly did. Uh, go pick up a copy <laughs> of Twilight 2000 for some of the mo- some of the real classic uh, RPG artwork that you've ever seen coming from him. And uh, actually, I just looked this up. He did – wow. He, he did cover design for an Iron Maiden album too. Really? Yeah. So nice. I always thought Derek Riggs did everything. No, apparently not. <laughs> That is pretty cool. Okay, he's just doubled yeah. his coolness in my book. All right. I know. <laughs> and it looks like, uh, I forgot to say this during the actual play podcast plug, that Drama Man might be, uh, from our community, might be adding his podcast to our lineup for uh, things to talk up for actual cool. what's play. He gonna, what's he doing? Uh, I think he's just going to record his uh, weekly session on Saturday nights and add it up to our feed. Nice. So that would be another thing for people to listen to once he gets that off the ground. And I think that's going to throw us into Sage Advice if no one has anything else. Let's go there. Sage Advice. Welcome to this week's Sage Advice. And Vince, I believe we have got some uh, emails that came in this week for Sage Advice. Uh, Yes, we did. Pulling out of the mailbag, I uh, pulled out... uh, Let me just get that piece of paper here. First email... (laughs) Yeah, I know. Nice fully. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this, we are a high-class operation. Here. That's right. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, the first one is uh, from Craig or Cyclos, Skylos, S-Y-K-L-O-S. Am I saying that right? I'm not sure. Sounds good to me. Hi, guys. Great show. Wondering about the app. This is up your alley, Jason. I purchased oh, it. Oh, yes. I purchased it, but I cannot find the psionics table you talked about in issue 31 or so. Actually, none of the things you guys have talked about make <laughs> are made available through the app. Where can I find them? How do I get these things? I lo- would love a psionics chart. Some of the shows are missing uh, from there, and it skipped to the newest show. Is there any way you All can right. help me? 
Yes. Okay. So the show part's the easy one. We're tagging those wrong. That's why they're not going up. I'll fix that right away. It'll be fixed by the time you hear the show. Uh, as far as the PDFs go, I it was really weird how the how the app set up because you know this is built by our podcast host, uh, Liberated Syndication, and they said, hey, you can put PDFs in as special uh, features for people who buy the app. And it turns out those PDFs that you can put in there are only going to be readable on the little iPhone app itself, so they're really tiny. <laughs> um, I, I think they're on there anyway, but, but in, in any case, uh, what we really need to do is make those so you can just download them from the site. It's a good reminder to me, so we will – uh, at the very least, make sure those are easy to find on the site. If there's any way to make them easier to read on the app, I'll do that too. But uh, those PDFs, uh, really, we can just make them available to uh, everyone, I think. Yeah, we'll just add a download section on the site. So uh, thank you for that uh, reminder because kind of let that one slip. Yeah. Sorry about that. Bad, Jason. Yes. Uh, okay. So – Okay. Next letter comes from Glenn T. He says, hey, guys, uh, do elves need to actually sleep once in a while or not? We settled this argument with our DM by allowing the elves to only need 48 hours of sleep a month. They did not need to actually sleep the entire 48 hours through, though. How do you guys handle it? Wow, I've never thought about it. I've never. Where did this whole idea that elves need less sleep come from? That's what I want to know. I think second edition started the whole elves don't need to sleep. See, because in first edition, I never recall ever seeing anything like that. I don't know where this kind of thing originated from where, well, elves don't need a whole lot of sleep. And I don't know. I I just kind of assume that they they sleep like everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, I think that is a second edition thing that that came in because I'm not familiar. I've never heard that before. I don't remember reading any fiction, you know, that I'm talking outside of the D&D rules. I don't remember ever reading anything in popular culture about elves not sleeping or anything like that. So as far as I'm concerned, they sleep like anybody else. Yeah. I, I, I think this came up This came up in my podcast, uh, Book of Sorrows, and one of my players was like uh, a thief. He was playing an elf. And he's like, mm-hmm. do I need to sleep? And I thought about it. I'm like, wait a minute. That's right. Do they know? So I compromised the game. He had to meditate for at least four hours a night. To get his hmm. rest. That's what I do for my elves. Well, well, I guess it just depends on, you know, how you want to run them. If you want to run the elves as a race where, because they're so long lived, they don't need to sleep as much. I, I think they need more sleep in that case. I, yeah, I would think so too. <laughs> All right. I'm looking at the monster. I mean, I don't remember anything about elves yeah. not sleeping. So I'm looking quickly here at the monster manual because if it doesn't say it, then. The, look, it's a game. It's got rules. They're in here somewhere. Right. Uh, no. It, it, it says, you know what it might be is that they have a magic resistance to the sleep spell. Maybe that's where this whole thing got started. Yeah, but that's different. That's magical sleep. That's not natural. Well, yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying is I think that I think that, that fact that they're resistant to the sleep spell got confused, got confused. in somebody's head. I agree. I, yeah, that's what so, it sounds like to me too. Yeah. Yes, elves sleep. <laughs> I guess it's a whole DM thing, depending on what you want to do in your campaign, or you can follow the book, which says elves sleep normally like everybody else. And dwarves get drunk and pass out. <laughs> do they? Do they? Yes, they do all the time. 
At least in my campaigns, they do. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course they do. That way. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> okay, well, there you go, Glenn. Uh, last letter comes from DM Jarvis, and he says, and I often use this too, so I'll read it and answer it, and then you guys can do what you want. Okay. Do you guys use the basic D&D rules for ability checks, and how does that work? Is it under the number or over the number? 3d6 or 4d6? Thanks. Well, hmm. Menser and I think Molve too, use 3d6 under the uh, number for an ability check. Uh, personally, I've added more dice to the pool, depending on the situation, if it gets more uh, dangerous or more unbelievable. But I think it doesn't one doesn't one e use the d20 rule for that? Jason? No. no, they don't use anything. One e, well, I think maybe later in one of the Unearthed Arcana, they might have uh, introduced ability checks, or maybe it was one of the survival guides. But uh, I, I thought we talked about this on a, on a past show. Um, I do the same thing that you do now. I, I hadn't really been doing anything before, so I'm now using D6s. If it's just a straight shot, if they're pretty likely to get it done, I do a 3D6, and then I add extra D6s for greater difficulty, just like you uh-huh. said. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So what about you, sense. Nick? Well, um, I've kind of – I've experimented with like uh, just using a straight D20 roll and depending on what the situation is, how difficult the uh, the task is, I'll just either say low or high on a D20. Uh, last thing I've kind of I, – I, and I recall we talked about this once before is – I've kind of borrowed something from another system that they use for the basic role-playing system by Chaosium. Mm -hmm. It's kind of based off of that. Basically, take your stat, multiply it by five, and it's a percentage. And you can do a percentage roll by that, or times three or something like that, and do a percentage roll. And maybe modify here or there for, like, you know, maybe, you know, based on their level. Maybe they get an extra few percentages based off um, whatever level they are. Hmm. So I was kind of kicking around that idea. I kind of like that one too. But to make it simple, most of the time, I, I like using a D20 roll. Okay. I guess D20 is simple enough. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's the last email we have. Uh, if you need to want to send an email in for a question or some advice, uh, rfistaff at gmail.com or... You can call us and leave a voicemail, 570-865-4210, the RFI hotline, right, Nick? The hotline. Do, do that. Call us. Calling us is good. Yes, we like yes. voice, uh, vo- audio, email, whatever. And, and and physical letters. I actually, I'm the, the Another two one? letters that we've ever received, I keep here at my dungeon master desk. He keeps nice. it close to his heart. Yes, I do. He walks it's around with it tied around his neck all day long. And- I just show him off to strangers. I go, I got a letter. Have you got a letter? <laughs> That'd be no, kind of that's creepy. New York, I think. Actually, you're right. That's New York. No one would think anything about it. So. Yeah, they wouldn't think that's weird at all. <laughs> they just think you're a regular person on the street. That's right. But the- <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, head into uh, Table Matters now. Typical. Of all the evil creatures in the world, I'd like to find one with table manners. And what are you kidding me? I've spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. All right. Uh, this week on Table Manners, we're going to talk about, actually, I think it was one of the more interesting subjects that can cause a little bit of, uh, you know, I guess, controversy. Yeah. Is monster PCs or using monsters as player characters. So, ooh. 
Yeah, this is one of those kind of, <laughs> it's almost a taboo kind of thing. And well, it specifically is taboo. It's taboo. <laughs> it's actually and, a and taboo you know thing. <laughs> and when I outline it, uh, after reading what's in the DMG, you know, uh-huh. it, it makes sense why they are. Now, yeah. uh, for everybody else who um, is following along with us, it's there's about one page in the DMG, page 21, where and you can tell who who wrote this. Gary Gygax, pretty much in his own words, reasoning, you know, basically discouraging the use of mm-hmm. monsters as player characters. Now, as far as there was any rules, there really aren't any rules for the DM to follow if he's going to allow such a thing to happen. And as far as, you know, Gygax, what he was thinking of is people uh, using um, – monsters as player characters he was focusing on like some of the more powerful undead creatures maybe demons devils vampires maybe even dragons yeah vampires liches you know the more the the independent undead (laughs) independently you know intelligent undead death knight death knight you know what have you but um he highly discouraged the using of monsters as player characters because one he says AD&D overall is a humanocentric kind of world right and the reason is it's it's a common basis for everybody to draw upon we could draw upon our common history folklore myths, myths and fiction that has been written and put down over the years to, to give us an idea of how to play in this world of of fantasy we at least have something to fall back on. And even though we might be a person might play a dwarf or an elf or a gnome or a halfling or what have you, I mean, those races in themselves are not so far gone from at least, you know, humans. I mean, they, they maybe we are not so different. You and I, yes. You know, I mean, they (laughs) feel, they feel the same things as other humans. They, they love, they raise families, they hate, you know, they envy, um, they fear things, maybe in different extremes more than humans, but all in all, they experience the same things as human beings do. So we have, I guess, <laughs> lack of a better term, a cushion to fall upon when we create these characters. Now, mm-hmm. he did say that there are some few and far between sources, and he did say anything for like non-human viewpoints. And he mm-hmm. said most of these are not very good to draw upon because it's very difficult to write in that sort of way, I guess. Well, also keep in mind when he wrote this, it was the 1970s, and a lot of right. stuff has been written since. We're talking you the late 70s here, yeah. So, you know, so there's there a lot of authors you lot. can turn to now uh, right. you know, and to kind of get a viewpoint uh, on those kind of things. You know, but, <laughs> but he's right. It, I, I think that his admonition makes sense here, which is that – if you're going to do this and you're trying to play in the world that he's created, it's really difficult to get into that other mindset. So be careful if you're going to go that way. Yeah, and I and he did essentially say that the DMG. If you're going to do this, if you really want to go down this road of having a monster as a PC, and I get the impression that if you're going to do this for one, you're only going to have one per group. That's okay. one thing I got out of this. If you're going to do this of a adventuring party, you shouldn't have, you know, no more than one, two tops. Right. Because that 
I think we're talking about balance here. Big time. Well, okay, if we're talking about balance, if you've got a, I don't know, a red dragon in your party, how is anybody else going to really be able to keep up with that? Exactly. You know, if you got a red dragon and a vampire in your party and everybody else is playing a dwarf elf and two two human fighters, uh, yeah, a little bit out of balance, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I'm saying maybe if you're going to start having uh, dragons as player characters, maybe everybody should have one. Right. It, yeah, if you're going to do that, it might as well be all or nothing. Yeah, I agree. And you also, the second thing I got out of this, if you're going to do this, do it as like an experiment, just kind of a brief flirtation with it, see how it goes, and then regulate that monster maybe as a non-player character. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty much, in a nutshell, all that one page, Mm. what I got out of it. Mm. It's a humanocentric world because it's common knowledge of everything that we could draw upon from our world that we know about. And there's not a whole lot, at least at the time that this was written, there wasn't a whole lot of non-human stuff. And it's hard to incorporate, and you should just do it briefly. Well, one of the toughest things about it is the fact that monsters don't typically have attributes. Right. and that's So you've got to figure out what they're going to be. Right. At the time, he didn't put those things in the player's handbook or the DMG. Um, So, and he didn't want to. Yeah, yeah, no, it would it would make things so complicated if you started having to figure out, you know, there's a there's a pack of gnolls coming at you, and by the way, what's the strength and dexterity of each one as right. you do this? You you right. you'd get into bookkeeping, you know, just hell. Way too much, way too much uh, bookkeeping. Yeah, you yeah. wanted to keep it moving, keep it flowing, and keep it as simple as possible, I guess. So yeah. I mean, well, you know, it, I'd like to see – I'm sure people have come up with their own rules for doing this kind of thing. Uh, there's probably somebody out there who's got an example of a campaign they did like this. I'd really be interested to yeah. see how somebody turned it into proper game mechanics. I mean the closest thing I've ever got to doing something, anything like this, even in first edition, was probably you know, someone who – you know, got bitten by a vampire and they became a vampire. But I even think even then they become a non-player character Whoa. or someone that becomes, and we talked <laughs> about this before, someone that becomes, uh, uh, gets inflicted with a lycanthropy. Oh, well, you know, you know well, we had that, we had that happen in a game that I was playing and somebody else mm-hmm. was DMing, uh, just not too long ago, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters, exactly that happened. He, he, became a vampire and i don't know where the dm was going to take it because it didn't sound like he was going to make him stop playing the character and everybody was kind of into doing that and then situations just arose and we ended up killing him uh (laughs) so we never really found out but i think that's kind of where i want (laughs) that's kind of where i would prefer players to take it is that they would just turn on the pc that became a monster Meh. Well, yeah, for the most part. I've only had bad experiences with this, so I never really yeah. used it. Yeah. I used it once, and one of my players played a Minotaur character, and it was just horrible, and I wanted to cry. <laughs> That's all I got to say. I hear that. So, use it or leave it, Jason? Uh, as an experiment, it would be fun to do. I'd like to run maybe a four-week campaign with player characters as monsters, but no more than that. Yeah, just a real simple uh, 
I would think I'm going to leave it because I have such bad experiences with it. I mean, I played Monster Classes myself as a player, and it was fun, but as a DM, it's just too compensating on the fly to just adjust everything. So, Actually, just a second. What was the game? Did I don't know. I'm so useless for my memory. If whether we, I don't know if we talked about it here on the show or if I read about it somewhere else. It's an indie game. It's it's meant for very short uh, sessions where you begin. Okay. Uh, like you, you get up to these incredibly high levels, and I think you might even be able to play a monster. But the trick is, whatever you do during this maybe like six or seven session game, as you progress to this impossibly powerful character. Uh, then you start over again as low-level PCs, and now you face the monster that you created in your last campaign. Oh, so that's, however, that's cool. however you performed as that powerful monster, that's what you're going to have to go up against now. That's cool. I, I'd never heard of that one. Hmm. Wow. So, Nick, what about I wish you? I could, oh, I sorry, I just remember what it was. I, I, I don't know what the game was. We'll have to try to find out because it sounded interesting. Nick, uh, use it or leave it. Well, you know, I guess I could do it, but if I am going to use monsters as PCs, I think I'd limit it to humanoids, you know, like goblins or orcs or something like that. So uh, You know what? I just remembered what it was. It's uh, not an actual game at all. Oh, no. It was, it was a few strips of Aaron Williams' comic, Full Frontal Nerdity. Ah, okay. <laughs> it was, it was um, his idea, so it's, it's not a real game. Very, very difficult for the player to play out a monster like that, because really the world's against him, if you really think about it. Hey, I hear Nick. I hear Nick, too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Nick came back. Sorry, folks. Having, right. us. <laughs> just having a little technical difficulties this week with Nick being uh, not at home, so... Yes. Damn Castle Greyhawk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while we're waiting for Nick's connection to firm itself up, uh, we have an update on that question. I got an update from an official source about elves sleeping. That is uh-huh. a second oh. edition rule, and it's an optional rule, and it's part of the complete handbook of elves. And that comes okay. from uh, comes from Corey, who is one of the hosts of uh, Thacko's Hammer, the second edition podcast. Okay. Nice. We're so, getting excellent. we're getting editions mixed up. <laughs> Yeah, he said it's very op- It's a very optional rule. Not a lot of people use it, but people get it confused and just happen to use it now, he said. Um, so, by the way, I found it here. If you go it's full frontal nerdity, it was November 16th last year. He did this for a few strips where he did what he was calling a legacy campaign. Ow, I just stabbed myself. Sorry. <laughs> what? That, re- that really hurt. Don't Ow. keep knives around your desk. Um, um, okay. You take... Oh, four points of damage. That sounded like yeah. a four point of damage there. Wow. Cleric. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, in the comic, he did a thing where he said, uh, okay, he said they're going to do a legacy campaign where everybody leveled a lot faster, but they only get a few adventures before they have to retire their characters. And uh, in it, as soon as they retired, then they had to go and face the former selves that they had played before. And uh, that was it. Cool. It looks fun. Wow. You should check out the comic. It's a, it's a cool idea. Aaron is quite a gamer. That's pretty cool. All right, cool. Are right, we ready to go into uh, game mechanics, guys? Let's go there. Yeah. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am. What are you, a wizard, a genius? Darn. A perfectly good brain wasted. Game mechanics. So, hey, this week on game mechanics, we're going to talk about 
uh, something that we brought up on last week's show, which was uh, running, chasing, running uh, monsters and PCs chasing each other all over the place, having a foot race, all those kind of things. Last. So uh, I did some reading around. I did some looking up on this. There's been discussions about this in the Dragon's Foot forums. Uh, there was a pretty good in-depth discussion happened about four years ago on there. And that led me to a lot of different sources in uh, – just actually just in the Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide. Oh, I, looked cool. in the, I looked in Dragon Magazine trying to see if anybody had ever done an article on foot races or anything like that, and nothing I could find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> really? But, nothing in Dragon Magazine, huh? No, uh, but as it turns out, uh, you kind of don't need to because almost all the rules you need – can be found in the original uh, Player's Handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide with a little bit of help. Okay. So do tell. Yeah. <laughs> so let me go back and start with uh, you know just the basics here. So uh, in the Player's Handbook, if you go back there to page 102, you will find uh, some basic rules. This isn't really that helpful, but these are just basic rules for fleeing. So if a uh, character is fleeing in a dungeon... And uh, I don't remember off the top of my head because it wasn't that relevant to this, but it, it, it boils down to something along the lines of uh, when you're fleeing, you're, you're running at ten times the normal speed and you cannot uh, do any mapping or anything like that. Right, no. Uh, but that's – I mean that's just for the purposes right. of – you know, we're, if you're running away from something and the DM has said that, yes, you're going to get away, that's how – just for purposes of distance. But if you get but if you get into the Dungeon Master's Guide, then we get a little bit of more interesting information. First, somebody on Dragon's Foot pointed out something that I had never really noticed before. If you go back to the DMG to page 15 where it talks about the character abilities and what they each mean, there's a sentence in here under Dexterity where it says um, – the dexterity rating includes includes the following physical characteristics: high hand-eye coordination, agility, reflex speed, precision, balance, and actual speed of movement in running. Oh wow! Okay. Oh. So it specifically says that when you're figuring out speed of movement in running, dexterity is your attribute. It Whoa. never gets really brought up again, though, because in all the rest of the discussions in the DMG about uh, fleeing and pursuing, dexterity doesn't come into it. Oh, Which so is weird. I was kind of close with my rules using dexterity, but yes, you were close. Um, so, so then, that would be, so if you had a fifteen dex, your movement rate would be fifteen. No, uh, first of all, it doesn't give any sort of mechanics for that at all, um, and second of all, at no okay. point does it actually even go into how you would adjust it. So I, I came up with a couple things, but let me give you a little more uh, some of the background of the DMG so that it makes sense why okay. I did what I did, and then we'll try it out. Cool. Um, okay, so then if you go to page 68 and 69, there's sections for um, evasion and pursuit, underground and outdoors. And they get a little bit uh, – they're a little bit different. The uh, underground, basically what it says is it speeds up the movement three times as fast and it's pretty simple. If you've got two – they're all about parties. So if you've got one party chasing another party, you use the slowest member of the party that's trying to get away versus the fastest member of the party that's chasing them. 
and it just comes down to uh, whether they catch up or not. So kind of basic, not not much there. The outdoor gets a little bit more dice rolly. Right. Um, <laughs> but I'm not. I wouldn't use this either. But and I'll tell you why. So the ba- it says there's a base chance of evading pursuit when you're outdoors. You have an 80 percent chance to get away at the base level, and then you start making adjustments. Uh, so for example, you have a 10 percent greater chance to get away if you're faster than whoever's chasing you. They have a you have a 20 percent. Uh, penalty if they're faster than you. It never breaks it down into how much faster. I mean, because you've got monsters that go, you know, in, if you've got a, a a PC with a movement rate of six, let's say that you're uh, a gnome. I don't know. I think they move at six, right? And you're being pursued by you know some type of a bird that goes at eighteen. That's a big difference, but yeah. they don't they don't account for that. And then it accounts for things like terrain. So it's a lot harder to get away if you're in open terrain. 50% penalty to your chance if you're on like out in the desert or something. Um, if you're in the forest, in the mountains, then it's actually 30% easier to get away. And this stuff keeps adding up. Stuff like you know what kind of light is out there, how many characters are in each party, all that. But it doesn't really get into specifics about uh, – a chase, like an action chase scene. This is a little bit more for the parties trying to get away from the monsters. Do we succeed? Or the monsters are trying to get away from us. Do they succeed? And it's really just down to that. So what I did was I went through and I said, well, what, what would happen right. if I actually wanted to turn this into an action sequence? And here's the rules I came up with. <laughs> I tried to keep them really simple. There's only two different kinds of rules that I've come up with. One is for PCs versus monsters. And the other one is for a P- is for a PC versus a PC or an NPC. So you know, human versus human, or something like that. Um, the, for for player characters versus monsters, it's simple as this. Uh, it's going to be based on dexterity and movement rates, with a little bit of luck thrown in. So uh, let's say, for example, that you've got a uh, let's, I'm going to give you guys a couple of characters here. Let's just do this. Um, do you have any dice on you? Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the only thing you need to roll up is your dexterity score. So if you can each roll uh, 5d6 and come up with your dex scores. Okay. Five that's, that's the only score you're going to – yeah, 5d6 and just take take the top three just to make this simple. Okay. Okay, my dex is 14. Mine's 11. Okay. okay, great. So uh, let's see here. I'll give you uh, characters here. We'll just, we'll just stick with Vince and Nick. I mean, we don't need to come up with character names or anything. Yeah, what you going to do, okay. brother? All right. Run. And <laughs> you guys are going to – do you want to chase the monster or be trying to get away from the monster? I say we're chasing the monster. Okay, okay. so you're going to be chasing the monster. Let's grab uh, something out of the monster manual here for you to chase. I just dropped my monster manual. Where'd it go? There we How go. How about just a plain goblin? All right. Do they move at 12? I don't know. Do they? Uh, let's see here. Here's a hippopotamus that moves at 12, so I'll make it a hippopotamus. I happen to open to H, so uh, that's going to be the deal. I guess that's, um, that's dinner, Nick. That's dinner. Um, okay. A hippopotamus moves at 12. Since monsters don't have 
ability scores, like we were just talking about earlier, um, we're not going to make any dexterity adjustments. But humans do. So the dexterity adjustments, the only ones I'm going to use are the standard ones from the ability uh, table. So you'll get a from the reaction attacking adjustments. So the only place you can get bonuses is if you have a dexterity of 16 or higher. So in this case, neither one of you gets a bonus. Right. You're both just running. So now we got a situation where you're chasing okay. you're chasing the hippopotamus, right? Right, we're chasing. Is that what we correct. just said. Yes. Okay. So now you have a situation where you're chasing a hippo, and you go the same. You move the same speed as the hippo. So how are we going to figure out whether you catch it or not? Right. All right. So what we do, we start out by figuring the distance that you guys are going to be uh, away. So let's say he's twenty feet ahead of you. Okay. Right. So. You start out, he's 20 feet ahead of you. And what we're going to okay. do is each round, we're going to roll 3d6. And we're just going to compare the difference. It's like a roll-off every time. Okay. And you, if you had a dexterity adjustment, you would get to add that to your 3d6, but you I don't. See. So um, what we're going to do is the hippo is going to start running. He's going to roll. He rolls a 9. And each one of you roll 3d6, please. Okay. An 11. <laughs> Funny. 13. Okay. All right. So, uh, Vince, you've just gained on the hippo by two feet. And, Nick, you've just gained on the hippo by four feet. Oh, I so, see. So just write it down. Keep it for yourselves so I don't have to keep separate ones. And, uh, okay, so it, I'm doing this every two segments is the way I'm doing it in terms of time in case that matters. So now it's been 12 seconds. You've just gained on the hippo by four feet, and you've each run your normal distance, which would be, you know, whatever, 36 feet or whatever, if it really matters. So now roll 3d6 again. I rolled a 14. I have a 14 also. Okay, so you're staying even with the hippo. And Nick? (laughs) Nick fell in the pool. All right, Nick fell in the pool. (laughs) He tripped over a Uh, rock. I'm going to roll four, Nick. Roll, Nick just rolled an 18. Oh, whoa. And, uh, I'm using the iPhone dice roller because I don't know where my dice bag is right now, so that's why you're not hearing anything. But uh, Okay. So that means he's just gained on him another four feet. So he's now close to within 12 feet. He's close to within one square of the hippo. At this point, you know, he could try to do anything he wants, but let's keep rolling. And, uh, I got an 11. Time I, well, you actually got an 18. I rolled for you. You're much closer. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. That's okay. My... So, my Castle Greyhawk Wi-Fi keeps on dropping. All right, so uh, mm. I rolled a seven this round or this segment. Really, I rolled a nine. <laughs> okay, so you're two feet closer. Yeah. And Nick, what'd you roll? All right, I got ooh, uh, sixteen. Sixteen. Okay, so you've now closed nine feet closer. You're now only three feet behind the hippo. At this point, cool. you're close enough that if you wanted to kind of dive to see if you could get on him i'd let you roll the dexterity check to see if you could make that final leap and i would only make you roll 46 against your dexterity so you can keep okay. running or you can kind of take that last hopeful dive what do you want to do i'll try to dive for him so 4d6 yeah okay and roll under roll under 14 on 46 okay under 14 five, six. Nine. 
10, 11, 12, 14. I made Ooh. it on the nose. All right. So you barely managed to grab onto the hippo. You're now being dragged along by the hippo. And we could get ah! into stuff after that. So there we go. It was only it, – that lasted for a total of eight segments. So just less than a full round. In less than a minute, uh, you guys ran a total of about uh, 100 feet. And you, dra- you, you leapt and you managed to drag yourself onto the hippo. So straightforward, right? Yeah, that was a little more complex than I was doing, but I had something similar. So, yeah, that works too. So yeah. the one thing I would now the one thing I would do differently. So that's that's for uh, PCs versus a monster. Now, if the monster had a higher move rate, then he would be instead of you guys because he had a twelve move rate. So if he had like say an eighteen, then he would be getting away with every single uh, two segment roll, and you'd have to be rolling really high to catch up. So you're probably right. not going to catch them. Uh, the other type of chase scene approach that I would do would be human versus human or PC versus NPC or however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I think dexterity should actually make more of a difference. So if you two were running against each other, you've got an 11 mm-hmm. versus a 14. So if this right. was a foot race, in every roll, Nick, you would get a three bonus to your yeah, rolls against time. whatever Vince gets. That's the difference between the two. Yeah, that's how. Exactly. Yeah, got it. That's how I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And uh, I think if you roll like that, you've got yourself a chase. Well, you'd have to post this uh, little chart up and everything you made so everybody could see. Yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll, Matt will uh, help me uh, figure out the internets <laughs> and. Uh, Oh, I'll put it up on CompuServe or AOL or wherever we keep our email web dro- I site. I think it was <laughs> uh, mail.edu. I don't know newsgroup I, I something. Think you send a letter to the internet. And go, for, put it up. go for net. Go for net. <laughs> That's oh what I do. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time. <laughs> so there we have it: chase rules with 3d6 and a little bit of dexterity adjustments for fun. Yes, uh, we'll put that up for you and uh, enjoy it. Okay, we're in the Creature Feature Theater this week with uh, another monster we're going to be talking about this week. For a little while, we're just going to go back to uh, going just to standard talk about the creature. We do have two actual play podcasts up, so if you need to hear actual play, you can go right to that. Hey, you just heard some actual running down the street. There you go. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> but this week we have Lava Children coming out of the Fiend Folio. Yeah. What'd you guys, I, I like this monster, one thing, because it has that giant grin on its face constantly. It's about yes. the size of a normal <laughs> human man, like a broadly built man. It kind of looks goofy and funny, but they're pretty deadly because one thing I find interesting really about this creature, it's immune to metal. Yeah. <laughs> and anything metal, like a sword, goes right through it. And if it attacks you, it doesn't like if you have wear plate mail or chain mail, mm-hmm. it doesn't count. Like as they go oh, right, yeah. they go right through metal no matter what. And they can have uh, fighters, they are magic users, clerics. They pretty much have all the classes. As this if a normal is one person. you want to be your friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are they intelligent? Let's see here. Yes, average average intelligence, intelligence. and they're neutral, so they could yeah. maybe they could be your friend. Yeah. Damage attack is pretty good. One to six, one to six, two to twelve. Yeah, they have a, they have a bite attack nice. and they have a claw attack. Their claw oh, attack is one one d six, and their bite attack is two d six. 
Well, here's the thing about these guys. They are completely immune to fire and earth magic, too. Yes, they are an offspring between the earth and fire spirits. Yeah, so huh. forget about using fireballs or you know, you know, stone the mud on these guys. No effect. Yeah, these are uh, they, they the magic users cast at spell levels level six. Wow, not yeah. bad. So they started a hit dice of four and worked their way up. So they're not they're little you know meanies if you uh, piss them off. So. I like the picture below where it shows, what is it, a lizard king with his trident? <laughs> it's going right through the lava children. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Nick, focus on the creature. It is. There's lava children right there. So uh, would you would you use this in your game? Hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the lava children are great. You You can have so much fun just describing them to people. And the first time that they try to hit them with a sword and it just doesn't do a thing. It's a good uh, just, example of the kind of creatures love that, that Alfred E. Newman grin they get on their faces. Yeah, it's what me worry. What me immune to metal? But you know, it's a great way to teach your characters not to fight everything they see on sight. Yeah, ask questions first, then attack. Not the opposite. Yeah. So I don't know. Tell us what you do with the lava creature, uh, lava children, and uh, get back to us. RFI staff gmail dot com. Right. And let's head over to Dragon Sword. Right, this is one that'll definitely throw the players a loop. The Dragon's Horde. All right, Dragon's Horde. We're gonna be covering um, the basically magic manuals and the ones out of the PHB here, not Players Handbook. Sorry, DMG Dungeon Master's Guy DMG, yes. and the various librams and tomes and. You know what they are, and you know, do you allow them in your game? So let's kind of do a round table on this and see uh, what everybody th- uh, thinks about using these magical books. What about you, Vince? Magical books hmm. depends on the power of the book. I would think if it's something minor, I would use it. If it's something like a tome or like an artifact, I would probably consider using it. Maybe not letting the players get access to it right away. Right. Because, you know, you don't want... Like, the Book of Sorrows in my campaign is an artifact. Mm-hmm. It's a, a tome artifact. They they don't know how to read it because it's obviously way more powerful than they are. So every time someone tries to read it, they have problems reading it, and they kind of go screwy-eyed, and they, get, they go insane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of oh, like... Yeah, something like a, like a Book of Infinite Spells, for example. You know? This is the one where, like, almost every magic user, this, like, drools over getting. So, would that be something that you would allow in your in your campaign? Well, I don't see why not. I mean, because Paladin's quest for the uh, the Holy Avenger. Oh, yeah. So, why not let the magic user quest for the ultimate book? Sure, sure. I, I agree. Well, there's, like, there's, like, all these different types. You got the ones, like... If you look on page 138 and 139 mm-hmm. of the DMG, you got the Book of Exalted Deeds, yeah. which is obviously uh, focused towards clerics. clerics. Yeah. Then you got you know the aforementioned Book of Infinite Spells, and then you got the Book of Vile Darkness, which is focused towards your your evil clerics. Right. So, um, I think like books like the Book of Exalted Deeds and Vile Darkness. I would definitely put somewhere 
if I was going to use these magic items, like like you said, not have them just randomly about. These would be you know books that probably they would pursue in a higher level campaign when you start getting around seventh. Yeah, seventh to tenth level, and they'd be questing items, not a regular everyday pickup. You know, ah, oh, I just found this in my cellar. Let me dust off this book of vile darkness. Hey, Jason, check this out. <laughs> I mean, you're right. The, these books are meant to be powerful things that don't just get found in a random. <laughs> you don't find them in a drawer when you're, you know, second level and you're rifling through a house. Yeah, going through the local that magic shop and oh, what's this? A particular stat by a. <laughs> yeah, you're just oh, look what I happen to find that a bookseller's, you know, in the dusty corner of the bookseller's shop. No. And it's 50% off. (laughs) With my Borders card. uh, (laughs) That's going out of business. Yes. uh, But, you know, I mean, even the Book of Infinite Spells, I mean, it's not actually infinite spells. It's a misnomer because it does run out. It's it's just a very powerful spell book. Yeah, a book of chock full of spells. Yeah. Chock full of of spells. Exactly. Chock full of nuts. Chock full of nuggets. So I don't know, like some of these other ones, like <laughs> one of the ones I would be really kind of concerned about is like, I think in a whole of like the manual of golems, <laughs> Oh yeah, uh-huh. you know, now, now they could start constructing things like clay or flesh golems or so. <laughs> well, hold, let's go, let's go take a look. It's a treatise on the, cre- on the creation of golems and, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's not like it's going to be easy to create a golem with this. You still right. have to go to all the time and expense of doing it, and uh, maybe going on writing a of, maybe a quest or two to get some of these uh, things. Yeah, but I don't think he's trying to say the book's not going to be sitting on the shelf at the local bookstore for you to oh, take out at the library no. or something. No, no, no. Of course. Excuse not. me. Do you have the manual of golems? Oh, yes, yes we yes. do. Second yes. shelf on the top left. If you go in the back, I'll need three because I'm going to make three golems. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the other thing. Do you want the new revised edition or do you want the older edition? So, I mean, that's the thing is that it's going to – it's only going to work for one golem anyways because the writing fades and the book is consumed in flames when you finish. Right. You know, and and that's sort of a a common theme throughout the books and librams and manuals is that uh, for the more powerful ones, they they self-destruct. Yeah. Yeah. This book will self-destruct. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> in ten seconds. Yeah. But I look at some of these other ones like the like the manual bodily health. Like it I was just looking at that one. Yes. Yeah, that one will <laughs> increase your health. constitution. I look at those ones that increase like your attributes by a point. Yeah. Something like that. They're pretty benign. Well for the I most mean part. look, raising one of your attributes by by one point is a pretty big deal. Sure, sure, but you know, it's still it's still not too bad. No. I mean and if I would say if they come across one of these, I don't think they would come across another, you know, if they find a book <laughs> of bodily health, that's the only one they're probably ever gonna find. It's it's in stacks. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, it's you know, a, this a is an interesting type item. So the manual of bodily health, uh, it's actually kind of funny because it requires you to follow a regimen, a dietary regimen and breathing exercises for one month. Uh, you actually have to read the book, and then the book is consumed. It's you know, As soon as you complete 
the uh, contents, the book disappears, right? Or the writing disappears in the book. Oh, I thought and you now you've got right, – you just get so hungry and you're like, oh, it tastes good. <laughs> Eat the book. So you read the contents. You learn the special secret regimen that you have to follow for one month that if you do this, it will raise your constitution by an entire point. And as soon as you read the instructions – the writing disappears, and you now have to actually complete that regimen for a month, or else you don't get the constitution point. So I would read that as the DM is saying, if you're in a dungeon with this, and one that you can't get out of for quite some time, you know, you pick up the book and make the mistake of reading it right then and there. As soon as you finish reading it, the writing disappears, and now if you can't get out of the dungeon in time to start your regimen, you're going to forget. So after, say... You know, a, a week down underground with all this stuff going on. If you didn't write it down somewhere else, uh, you're gonna. In fact, I wouldn't even let you write it down because the whole point is, if you could write it down, you could just tell anybody. So yeah, that's uh, true. yeah. So so that's actually kind of. I mean, these are these are pretty well balanced. Yeah, I think all the books work that way. Even the uh, the one that increases the strength that's right below it mm-hmm. says it works the same thing as the bodily health. So. I would assume that once you read it, it goes poof and it's gone. Yeah, I don't know if it goes poof, but you know what I mean. I think it makes it poof, just <laughs> like that. Yoink! <laughs> <laughs> it, it just disappears. I think some like a bully comes up and kicks sand in your face and then disappears. Uh, well, so you'd use it in your campaign then? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't see yeah. why not. Maybe as a quest item, probably. Well, I wouldn't even make that. Well, maybe it's yes, sure, a quest item. I, I was just thinking that the thing I like about it is if you don't know what you've come upon, uh, then you know reading it kind of messes you up. I like what I like most about all these librums and tomes and manuals and everything is that you don't necessarily know what you've got. Hmm. Yeah, kind of makes it fun. You know, I, I like I, I like when characters try to, um, you know, try to figure out what it is that they've got. It's a big part of the fun for me. Yeah, definitely not not letting them know exactly what it is. <laughs> like uh, I, I'm not gonna say it now because I can't. My it's gonna ruin my campaign. Uh, well, tell us afterwards. Then. Yeah, I'll tell you afterwards. Anyway, uh, that's gonna end the Dragon's Horde for this week, and I think we're gonna head into this. We'll be right back after this. Blackstone's Hall. Hello and welcome to another edition of Blackstone's Vault. I'm your host, Blackstone, and in this segment, I'll be covering the last in the series of the S-series of modules, module S4, Lost Caverns of Zoicanth. Uh, This was authored by Gary Gygax. It was published in 1982 by TSR, and as I said, it's part of the S-series of modules put out by TSR. Uh, recommended levels are levels 6 to 10, and uh, it was also a tournament module. It was used at a convention uh, called WinterCon, at WinterCon 5. Now, to start off with this uh, particular module, this particular adventure, I'd like the listener to know that this particular adventure is very much steeped in the history and folklore of the world of Greyhawk fantasy campaign setting. In fact, the location 
as stated in the World of Greyhawk of a box set is somewhere between Perenland and Ket in hex E5-88. Now the adventuring party has been hired out for to find a lost magical treasure, an artifact. Um, and it is rumored that this treasure is somewhere in the Yatil Mountains south of the realm of Perenland. Now they are hired, like I said, to investigate rumors of this treasure. And many other adventuring parties have been hired to find this, but have perished. Now, it is said that this treasure is a remnant or part of a, a larger trove by that was made by the Archmagus Igwilf. And she used to rule Perenland many, many moons before with an iron fist. Now, rumors have it that she was a very powerful mage. She actually had a demon prince in her servitude named Grazit. And um, it is also rumored that, you know, Grazit eventually broke his bonds, killed Igwilv, but in between that time, they may have sired a child. And that child does make its appearance in this module. Now, some of the uh, NPCs that appear in this module, uh, before I really get into that, it is split up into two major sections. There is a wilderness encounter section, and there is also the dungeon section. The wilderness encounter section is fairly large, and that's probably where the player characters will meet some of the more prominent NPCs and, and adventure locations. And then you have the dungeon section. On the outside, in the wilderness area, uh, some of the major important NPCs that they will encounter, actually two from what I could tell, is the one encounter with a hermit. Now this hermit, he has some valuable information about the caverns, namely the lo the possible location, um, some other rumors, and if the player characters are careful enough and if they are good enough to him, give him a little bit of treasure, he has a piece of a journal from a survivor of the lost caverns, and then they could read that for themselves. And if anything, it adds more to the mystery, this Enigma that is the Lost Caverns of Zoicanth. In my opinion, it raises more questions than it does give answers. The other major encounter on the wilderness side is the Gnome Vale or the Gnome Valley. There is a valley of gnomes that have taken up residence in this area. Um, if the player characters play their cards right, this could be a good area for them to rest up to uh, heal themselves, maybe even get some training if possible, if they needed it, when they're trying to find the Lost Caverns. Also, when encountering the, the gnomes in this particular adventure, there is a link, a very loose link, to another module that is part of this, I, I guess what you might call a mini campaign if you use the two together. It's module WG4, 
the um, Forgotten Temple of Tharsdun. And I will review that one later on in another segment of Blackstone's Vault. So you have those two encounters on the wilderness side. And on the inside, really the major encounter of all the NPCs, of any of the creatures, is uh, Drelnza, who is the daughter of Igwilf. And I will get more into detail about her a little bit later when we talk about the major encounters. Now, some of the major encounters, and as I've said, it is broken up into two sections. You have a wilderness section, and you have the actual dungeon section. Now, the major wilderness encounters, as I said, there was the Hermit and the Gnome Vale. But there are some other, I would, I considered very... You know, not, not very important, but can be kind of dicey for the player characters. There's an encounter with some uh, wyverns. There's also uh, an encounter with uh, Catite and Perenlander patrols. So the player characters will have to be very careful in that encounter. There's also an encounter with some hill giants. Uh, there's also one with some griffins, and that one's tied into these griffins are being taken by bandits of humans and also um, some other humanoids. They're, they're being taken and sold and, and being used as mounts for other people. Now, if the player characters play it well enough, they can maybe befriend these griffins and they'd be a really awesome mounts for them. And finally, as, as far as prominent wilderness encounters, there is an encounter with a blue dragon. So... Some very, very interesting encounters in the wilderness section. When it comes to the dungeon section, for me, it's very difficult to pick out a few that really stand out amongst the others. In my opinion, most of the the encounters in the dungeon are just, they're each a gem. I mean, I think this is one of the most wonderfully laid out dungeons that Gary Gygax ever made. I just think it's fantastic. And I think that what makes it interesting, at least for at the time when it was published in 1982, is the simple fact that many of the encounters in here are of new and unusual creatures that have never been published before by TSR Hobbies. Now, there are some mixed in with some regular monsters from the Monster Manual, and a few from the Fiend Folio, but when taken into account with the newer monsters at the time, it could really blow the players' minds of what they are dealing with. Uh, for example, you have some of the new monsters like the Peck, the, the spell P-E-C-H, these are in the Monster Manual too. The, the Dao, D-A-O, the Dao, which are a type of like, they're like genie or a freet. Uh, the Behir, which is a lizard-like creature that can shoot lightning out of its mouth. Uh, those are just a few of the monsters that were, quote-unquote, new at this time. And many of these monsters do, if not all of them, do make their actual official debuts in the Monster Manual 2 that comes out in 1983. And there are some other interesting encounters there's at the very entrance you have a 
uh, stone faces that have magic mouths. It's a bit of a tra- uh, not of a trap, but a of a kind of a riddle that the uh, player characters have to figure out. Uh, there's a clay golem encounter. Uh, there's also a teleportation trap on the lower levels that sends the player characters to pocket dimensions. So I don't want to get into details in those because I want to leave some surprises. There are some demons in this module that were new at the time. Uh, again, we'll be seeing in Monster Manual 2, like the uh, Chasme. That's the kind of like the fly demon that's in here. And eventually, uh, if the player characters survive, they meet Drelnza herself, who is a vampire fighter. She's very powerful. And if the player characters do defeat her, it is well, well worth it. They do get an artifact. And the artifact is a type of lantern called Dad's Wondrous Lanthorn. And it's detailed in the special insert that comes with this module. Now, some of the good stuff that's in this particular module. I love that this module is tied into the folklore of the world of Greyhawk. You have this vampire fighter, Drelza, or Drelzna, and her mother is an archmagus, Igwilf, who captured a demon, Grazit, and they sired a child, which was Drelza. Don't ask me how she became a vampire, but I'm going along with it. It just makes a very interesting story. Um, you also have this great uh, insert that is with it, with the module. There's really two booklets. You have the booklet of the adventure itself, and you have a second booklet of new monsters, new magic items, and new spells. And that is worth its weight in gold, in my opinion. So a lot of real cool stuff. You get quite a bit. Um, wonders, wonderful maps. Uh, real good layout of NPCs if needed, or player characters if needed. If you're going to run it kind of like as a as a one-shot or as a tournament thing, if you want to do that. And there's the tie-ins with the, the second I guess part of this mini campaign series, the Forgotten Temple of Tharzadun. If the uh, player characters do meet the gnomes in the Gnome Valley, there is a kind of a plot hook of tying into that module WG4, Forgotten Temple of Tharzadun, if you so choose to do that. There's no, uh, there's no reason that you have or have not to. It's just another adventure that you can tie into this one. And also the simple fact that you get to recover a lost artifact, this uh, Wondrous Lanthorn, that does some pretty cool and interesting stuff. So I think this is a great adventure. Also, I think it has a perfect balance between uh, the wilderness and dungeon encounters. The one thing I guess that might be a not-so-good thing is that it is tied into the World of Greyhawk Fantasy campaign setting. Some DMs who like to have their own campaign world might think that's uh, not to their liking, but I like to use it. I think it's really interesting how it's all tied into the World of Greyhawk. So overall, like I said, it's the best balance between Wilderness and Dungeon in this module. It's 
just the great, great balance between the two. I don't know how other way I could describe it, but it has the best of both worlds, really. Great wilderness encounters and great dungeon hack and slash encounters, too, and some thinking encounters in there as well. It has a little bit of everything for everyone. Also, it's that it's just dripping with World of Greyhawk folklore. Now, who is or was Igwilf? Is she actually dead? Uh, could she be someplace else? Could she have escaped uh, Grazit? And who was Zoikanth? Who was he exactly? Nobody really knows for certain. But I'm sure uh, some DMs out there who want to will go out there on the web and search for some information about this. You know, I think it'd be uh, worth your uh, time to do a little research on this. So that's module S4, Lost Caverns of Zoicanth. I highly recommend it in anyone's library. It's one of the my favorite uh, modules that I own, and I hope to run it again very, very soon. Now, again, you can find this on eBay, and also if you go to your conventions, I'm sure you could find it. Make sure, if you do find this module, make sure, absolutely sure, that you have both booklets with it. The module itself with the adventure and the booklet, the second booklet with the monsters and magical items. So make sure it's complete. So... Big thumbs up for Lost Caverns of Zoicanth. My next adventure I'm going to cover is the one that's tied into this one. Uh, WG4, Lost Caverns of Forgotten Temple of Tharzadun. Excuse me, not Lost Caverns. Forgotten Temple of Tharzadun. So, that's this is the Blackstone's Vault. And may all your hits be crits. Ooh, one of those electronic voting dealies. Okay, so the 10-foot poll this week, and they'll be ending the show on this note. What do you think about the poll this week, Jason? Uh, if the house <laughs> was on fire, what would you grab? What's the first uh, thing you grab? My vote was not one of the uh, top vote-getters. So uh, I voted vote that... for? Yeah. <laughs> I voted... The only thing that got less votes than the one I voted for was nothing. <laughs> uh, the poll was the house is on fire, and you grab, so nobody voted for nothing. Get out of the house. I voted for the least popular of the other options, which was if the house is on fire, you grab just the core one e books. The orange spines can burn <laughs> and <laughs> I, run. I figured you'd like that answer. <laughs> yes, I I voted all of my one e books and run like hell. <laughs> I was how, being how about you, Ben? I voted. <laughs> I voted. I grabbed my MP3 iPod with all the RFI podcasts on it because <laughs> all my books are on there anyway. So. Nice. nice. <laughs> They're in the cloud. They're in the cloud. They're you in the cloud. That's why. You know. So, uh, so uh, <laughs> it looks like the poll is all my one ebooks and run like hell with 54% of the votes. The MP3 iPod with RFI podcast on it, 25% of the votes. And just the core one ebooks, the orange wow. spines can burn with 21% and zero votes, 0% of nothing get out of the house. So hopefully this is not taken as a top tip for how to survive a fire because no. we'd like to keep all of our listeners. So do get out of the house. Yes, and make sure you take your D&D stuff with you because that's important when you're sitting around waiting for your house to stop burning to play a game. 
I actually, this isn't so far from fiction because Uh-oh. the other day a massive leak developed in our ceiling and I barely saved my entire Dragon Magazine collection. Oh, jeez. I, I, I heard this leak starting and you could, it wasn't, the sound was happening but the leak hadn't come through the ceiling yet and I'm running around trying to figure out where it's coming from and then I saw the first couple of drops come down and they just started to drip Right next to where all my magazines were, which nice. luckily I've put in plastic, oh, I just grabbed them and I started like just tossing everything over onto the bed. And by the time oh. I'd gotten the last one over to the bed, it just went oh. like a faucet had been opened up. Nice. Thank God you saved them. Yeah. So that would have been a lot of loss. <laughs> it just, I didn't even want to think about explaining that one to my insurance company. I lost my dragon magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm filing a claim, and they're like, "Well, what? Get those what magazines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like these magazines are three dollars each. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Some of them are worth a lot more than. Should that. you get those appraised and stuff like that, like on Antique Roadshow or something? <laughs> nice. It's worth. Well, two you know, with the uh, I rent, we don't own, we rent. So you know, we've got renters insurance, yeah. and it's really good. It just covers whatever you've got. You say this is the total value of stuff in my house. And then they say, if something happens, just you know, kind of make a concrete case that it was really there. So, or just show them the soggy okay. magazines. <laughs> that would sadly do it. So, so I think if the house was on fire, I'd probably run for my dragon magazines first. They're harder Good to man. find in the books. Definitely. All right. So that's going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, any last minute words, guys? Yeah. Sorry about the dropouts. I'll talk well, to Mordecai and fix the Wi-Fi here. <laughs> Mordecai's gainful Wi-Fi. Mm. Yes, Mordecai's gainful Wi-Fi. I like that. <laughs> Boom. Anyway, so uh, give us a call five seven zero eight six five forty two ten for the hotline or RFI staff hotline. at gmail dot com or Jason at uh, RFI is it RFI podcast dot com. Yes. And uh, DM Nick at RFIpodcast.com and not me because I just use RFI staff. So <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just give us give us a call. You know, we got things lined up. You know, we got the tip. We got the drop. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to say goodnight. Yes. Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. Uh, keep it original. Keep it old school. And goodnight, everybody. Night, everyone. for initiative.